Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, this is Adam Mixon with the Ministry Collaborative. I am sitting again with my friend, colleague, mentor, baseball buddy, Joe Scrivener, to talk with you about how the gospel in some ways aligns with this big struggle we've been having here lately with critical race theory. Now, I have some inclinations about how racism informs public policy, but I also think that racism has shaped our theology, how we do church. So as we enter into this conversation, I'm going to pause and let Joe go ahead and tell us off the top of the dome, what are your thoughts when you think about critical race theory and how we do theology? Wow. Good to be with you again, my brother, and delighted to share this time with you, as well as other fun times we've shared. I think the first thing I want to say is that the fuss about critical race theory really isn't about critical race theory. It's a distraction game. It's a smoke and mirrors game. Mm -hmm. And I see it akin to the way communism was used during the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King Jr. and others. I see it as similar to the way Marxism was used with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. And so, unfortunately, reactionary white conservatism will come up with a boogeyman every time to distract from the real issues. When you go and look at surveys about the George Floyd murder and police brutality and excessive force, those issues were polling pretty well in terms of people feeling like there was something that needed to be done. But what reactionary conservatism has been doing well, unfortunately, for over 100 years, is saying, don't look over here, look over there. Mm -hmm. And we got these scary black people with these scary ideas about how awful you are as a white person. They want to take all of your pride. They want to take away everything you've accomplished. They want to tell you that you haven't earned anything in your life. These black people are angry and they're scary and they're coming to take you and your mama and your house and your yard. That's critical race theory. Oh, my God, they're coming for you. Mm. And therefore, then you're just scaring people about some stuff nobody's read or studied. 99% of the people talking about critical race theory don't know anything about Derrick Bell or Kimberly Crenshaw or anything else, intersectionality or anything else. So it's just a bait and switch game in my mind. I've been inclined to say, you know what? Let's leave critical race theory off the table. Mm. Let's just talk about racism. Let's just talk about history. No need to talk about a particular theorist or a particular theory. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the way FHA was racist in how it gave out housing loans and built neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the way we had this reactionary policing and imprisonment after the 1960s and 70s. I don't need to quote one single solitary theorist to talk about the ripples of racism in public policy and history and redlining and all of these things. Now, we can, and of course, historians and theorists matter, scholars matter, but I don't even want to allow that to be used as 
a means of avoidance, okay. a means of changing the topic. Let's say you quote some theorist with some sentence that somebody finds problematic. I'm not going to even gauge you on that. If you talk about the history of racism in any segment of our society, you just need some good history books. You said good history books. Thorough history books. Yes, absolutely. Good thorough history books that probably don't exist yet. Well, no, they're there. They're out there. Well, they're not being used in our public school education. Oh, well, yeah, there's the problem. Yeah. So you're perpetuating the myth. right? But anyway, I digress. So if we set aside the term critical race theory. And we limit our conversation just to talking about race and the impact of racism on public policy, or we talk about racism's impact on our theology. Let's talk about that uncomfortable relationship between what we call Christian conservatism and racist. Yeah. We're at an impasse, right? Right. And you all probably know Robert P. Jones's book, White Too Long, mm-hmm. about the role of racism in American churches, evangelical and mainline. Mm -hmm. And so there's no American Christianity without American racism, unfortunately. Mm. Right? American Christianity has been used all too happily by ministers and theologians to uphold and defend American racism. Mm. Going back to the takeover of indigenous lands and indigenous people to the enslavement of Africans. Christianity, Willie Jennings documents this, right, in the Christian imagination. Christianity has been used as a tool of nationalism and racism since day one, you know, before 1492, right? The two are interwoven now for over 500 years and getting people to acknowledge that and see it again, uh, using a book like Willie Jennings' uh, Christian Imagination or Robert P. Jones's book, White Too Long, uh, in a more contemporary setting. Yeah, you can't separate the two. The defense of slavery, the defense of segregation. H- how do you read the Bible in all of Paul's language about Jew and Gentile being together, and then you erect segregation to the point of water fountains and toilets? Mm-hmm. That thing is so common that we don't even gasp at it anymore that we had a whole system where we said people of different skin pigmentation couldn't drink from the same water fountain. Mm-hmm. And then you can quote Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free. Mm-hmm. As uh, Samuel Jackson said in the movie, I hope they burn in hell. Well, <laughs> I don't mean that literally. I don't it's mean hyperbole. that literally. We got you. Yes. But I mean, what kind of person, what kind of deformity of spirit and character and lack of faith and understanding the gospel can erect white only, black only signs and then go to church. I mean, it's all there in Martin Luther King's A Letter from a Birmingham Jail, right? Mm -hmm. King says, I see these beautiful churches with their beautiful architecture and educational buildings. And he says, what kind of people worship here? What kind of Christians worship? Yeah, and they can then turn around and, you know, be okay with the violence, the bombings, the lynchings. Mm -hmm. It's so common that we are no longer taken aback by the depth and the horror of American Christian sin, duplicity, hypocrisy. I mean, it was... uh, God forsaken Mm. by any fair measure in my judgment. Okay. 
to shift the conversation a little bit, let's talk about the subtler cousin of that kind of overt racism. I have a suspicion that those who would have been segregationalists have reformed. They realize that there's no harm in you and I drinking from the same fountain or swimming in the same pool or using the same toilet. And these are some at least nobly intended folks who are given to charity work in tremendous ways. And that is a meaningful type of work. But it never really addresses the justice issues that make such charity so important. Yeah. How do you begin to nudge folks into that type of confrontation where you talk about justice in such a way that it makes charity less of a necessity? And I think that's the point of all this screaming and yelling about critical race theory. Mm-hmm. I think the point is to distract from that conversation. Because if you get people distracted about these scary theorists, then you never get to the issue of reforming police. Then you never get to the issue of some kind of societal indebtedness for this injustice for all of these years. Mm -hmm. And that is the hardest conversation. And it's a hard conversation for whites, blacks, and every other group. Because we all think in terms of individualism. And we don't really think in terms of history. So Birmingham and our suburbs, for instance, and Tuscaloosa, where I work, all of those places were shaped by racism. And everything that's an issue now goes back to the racism of the past. Mm -hmm. To your point, we go to the schools and we work on literacy and we do backpack buddies and we try to help with the children who are neglected. And they have family issues and their parents who are responsible and all of that. But the very history of our educational system, the very history of how our schools were segregated, the very way middle class whites and then blacks left our neighborhoods, the way we pay for those schools, that's the harder, deeper conversation about justice to the point, you know, Texas had a law called the Robin Hood law. And I think it actually said that we're going to spend more money on neglected school districts than we do on other districts. And as soon as conservatives got in control of of the Texas legislator, they changed that. Mm -hmm. But that was something getting at justice. Mm -hmm. And they even used the term boldly Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. We're gonna take from the rich and give to the poor because we have systemic, historic inequities in our system and we only correct those by weighing the system more toward those who are disadvantaged, right? If you have a community that's been disadvantaged for 100 years, equal spending between that and a well-to-do suburb will not change the ripples of that past. But that's where folks' hair stand up on the back of their necks. That's when they get angry about their money and their taxes and their suburbs, because then you're saying this is required of us for justice. This is not something you can just decide to do because you want to be sweet and nice and kind and do it on your own schedule. That is the harder conversation. And actually, that kind of conversation is difficult even with some older African-Americans. They even have some of this kind of bootstrap conservatism in their veins. And they're Americans. Mm -hmm. They all imbibe of the American water. Mm -hmm. That's the really hard conversation. It got me to thinking just in creative ways of how to push this conversation into uh, out more publicly so that it disturbed people less. Let me give you my harebrained idea. You tell me what you think about it. I thought about 
justice as a mechanism towards sustainability. Most congregations have encountered challenges to budget and all of those things over the last year. They're trying to figure out how do we maintain this, but also do this charity work and all of this kind of stuff. But if you play the long game and do the hard work toward transforming communities to being more just, where there was a less of a demand for charity, what you're actually doing is investing in your future, right? Right. So how do we frame this conversation into one that's really about human stewardship? Yes. Right. You may be thinking along these lines, and we've had these conversations in our presbytery as a Presbyterian pastor, where, you know, we talk about churches struggling, small churches, black and white. But at some point, some of the bigger churches could say, you know what, we're going to give 10 or 15 percent toward the sustaining of pastorates and disadvantaged smaller churches, black and white, Latino. Mm -hmm. Instead of just saying, oh, our churches are struggling. We had another little church closed down because the salaries of the members, the opportunities of everybody, everything about that church and where it is and its history has been a part of racism for the last 100 years. Mm -hmm. And so if you really want to address sustainability and share Bigger churches, usually predominantly white, but of whatever color, could spend some money on helping sustain churches, not as charity, but for justice, mm-hmm. so that ministers can't, you and I don't always have to be tent makers. Yes, sir. As we are. Mm-hmm. But see, that's when folks start sweating when you start talking about spending money that's not just charity or benevolence. That's when the knives come out. <laughs> that reminds me very much of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where he really talks directly to what's the point of abundance? Yes, that's right. And he makes this very socialist, communistic statement when he says, your abundance is for their lack that there may be equity. So the one who doesn't have enough doesn't do without, and the one who has too much has no leftovers. The views and opinions of Adam Mixon are not necessarily those of Joe Snell. <laughs> You're absolutely right. No, you know I'm being silly. Yeah, now that yeah. you say it, nobody reads that passage. <laughs> That's like it's better to be single in 1 Corinthians 7, right? Nobody reads that. <laughs> no 20-year-old at a Christian college reads 1 Corinthians 7. <laughs> oh, man. No church leader or trustee reads 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Wow. Except for the part when they're doing a stewardship campaign for their own church. Your abundance is for my lack. Right. It's about the internal budget, right? Not about giving outside or, yeah, doing justice work. Absolutely. The Bible's a dangerous thing if you read it. It is. And don't just pick your favorite passages. Now, that's the Joahs waiting to come out. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Micah 6 and 8 says, you know, O man, what God requires, but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly. Right. I can't think of better words for a time like this, but in all honesty, I can't think of a poorer representation. Our predominant culture is like Muhammad Ali dodging George Foreman. I mean, we're rope-a-doping and ducking and diving. You know, in any relationship... You have to say, I was wrong, my bad, my fault. How can I make this right? Mm -hmm. If Adrian, your wife says, Adam, Mm -hmm. you ate the last piece of chicken and I asked you to save it for me. And if you say, Mm -hmm. no, I didn't. The children ate it. It fell on the ground. (laughs) 
<laughs> At some point, you just got to own up. Admit it. If you expect your relationship to be okay. For the record, I did not eat that chicken, Adrian. <laughs> Joe did it. <laughs> it was not me. Maybe it's uh, Genesis 3, this serpent, this woman. Everybody wants to avoid accountability and responsibility. Yeah, just blame it, pass it down, kick the can a little further down the road. Absolutely. Which, again, is absolutely ironic when, you know, we have so many people who are just terribly protective of our sacred national past. Yeah. Until it's not shining and pretty. Let me recommend a book I just became aware of. It's called Forget the Alamo. And it's about the mythology around the Alamo. I was just in San Antonio with my son. I heard this on NPR. And it's an amazing example of myth creation that has no basis in facts. I mean, the whole Alamo thing is a joke. Those guys were no good. They were scoundrels. They were moving to Texas for land. But the whole narrative around it is just amazing. And Texas legislation does not allow school teachers to veer from that traditional narrative. It is mandated mm. that you teach the heroic narrative. And that's a great symbol of so many of our problems. And so we keep perpetuating the myth. God help us. People all around, you know, you go and look at the statue and stuff, and you're like, wow, what an example of what we do with history. His story is what somebody would have said from That's back right. in my hip-hop days or That's whatever. Right. Joe, thank you. I don't ever feel like I get enough of your time. I always enjoy these conversations, and I'm delighted to share with you and this audience, and I appreciate your having me on. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.